All right, I will say good morning. Let us begin a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsors, our Talmud Torah sponsors, for the month of Iyar, Yonah and Shishi Ehrenfeld, in loving memory, and Lezeich and Nishmas, Yonah's grandfather, Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron, Mark Karstadt, in memory of his mother, Chana Bas Shragai, the week of learning sponsors, the Marowitz family is a Zuchos for Su Shulamis Tova Bas Mindel, the Grossman family as a Zuchos for a Fur Shalema from Miriam Chana Bas Ida. We hope that in the merit of our Tamil Torah, all the Nishamas will have an Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and those who require a Refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisra. And I will say with that, let us begin. So today's daf is daf Yud. Another beautiful Gemara ahead of us today. We are going to pick up Emir Hashem at, or on, I should say, Tesla Base 9b. And I believe we left off 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 lines up from the bottom. So we'll say the end of yesterday's daf. Well, throughout yesterday's daf, we were speaking about Mikdash Rishon, Mikdash Sheni, the various reasons for the destruction of the first and second Bate Mikdash. And then we began with an interesting contrast of the Bate Mikdash, ultimately trying to understand, you know, which one was quote-unquote greater, which one was greater, which one ultimately again was not as great. So that was the, that was the fundamental machlokas that we were discussing. So the Gemara continues on this and says, Amr Yochanan, Literally, again, the fingernail of the people of the first Mikdash era is better than the Kreso. Kreso means the stomach. So it's a contrast. The fingernail, which is a non-significant, but an insignificant part of the body. The Kreso, the stomach, a significant part of the body. So the Gemara is saying that literally, again, a fingernail of the Jews of the first Temple era is greater than the body of the Jews of the second Temple era. Amalei Reish Lakish. Like Shlagish suggests the opposite. Adraba, Achronin Adifi, Alpha Gav di Ikoshiba Malchus, Kaskiva Torah. Reishlagish says, not true. Look at the Jews of the Second Temple era. Even though they lost their base Hamikdash, they still continue to learn Torah. So we'll say, which, which is such, Reishlagish is saying, what a testament to Klav Yisrael. Here, they're in Galus, right? We're in Galus. And interestingly enough, remember, it's a galus without a defined end. As we saw in yesterday's naf, the major distinction between Chorben Bayez Rishon and Chorben Bayez Sheni is that Chorben Bayez Rishon was given, it was, it was a timed galus. We were told by the Navi, 70 years, Chorben Bayez Sheni, each and every day we're still waiting for the galus to end. Suresh Lakish says, you clearly see that, again, that the people of the second base Hamikdash were greater, because so they go out and they learn Torah even in Galas. So they said, Rabbi Yochanan said, just let the base Hamikdash prove this. Was a very compelling argument. The base Hamikdash is the greatest litmus test of generational piety. Why? Because again, think about this. The first, the resident, the Jews of the first Beis Hamikdash, they lost the Beis Hamikdash, but then it was given back to them. The Jews of the second Beis Hamikdash, we lost the Beis Hamikdash, and it still has not been returned to us. So, shouldn't the Beis Hamikdash ultimately show Shalos Rabbi Lazar, Rishon Gidol, Achron Gidol, and Me'as Rabbi Lazar? Who's greater? The Jews of the first bias or the second bias, Amr Lahem, Tnu E Nechem Bebira. To which Rabbi Lazar says, look at the Beis Hamikdash, which again is another way of saying the same thing, that the Mikdash returned for the Jews of Bayis Rishon, the Mikdash has not yet returned for the Jews of Bayis Sheni. Ike de Amri, others say the versions, Amr Lahem, Eidechem Bebira. Your witness will be the Beis Hamikdash. The fact, again, but it's the same idea, the fact that the Beis Hamikdash returned so quote unquote quickly 
after the destruction of the first Beis Hamikdash, but didn't come back for the for during the second Beis Hamikdash. Ultimately, again, is incredibly telling. Jose, I just want to point out, you ask yourself, what kind of conversation is this, right? Who is greater, the people of the first base Hamikdash, second base Hamikdash? So we'll see, understand what Chazal are struggling with. You know, when we learned in yesterday's Dam that the first base Hamikdash was destroyed because of Gilei Araya, Shvichos Dam, and Avod Zara, right? Idolatry, morality, bloodshed. Second base Hamikdash, Sinas Chinam. What Chazal are struggling to understand is, we're always conditioned to think that the worst Averos in the world are the three cardinal sins, right? Those are the worst things in the world. Yet amazingly enough, when we did it, we got back to Beis HaMikdash, you know, you know, 70 years later. And yet for Sinas Chinam, we are still in an ongoing 2,000-year Gullus. So the Gemara is trying to make sense of that. How, how do you under... Just we, could, could we line these things up? Obviously, every Avera is bad. But in terms of trying to wrap our heads around like the, the, the ranking of sins, not because we want to choose, well, what should I do? Right? I'd like to commit an Avera. I don't want to do anything too severe. So let's rank everything. That's not the idea. Just from, from a conceptual, from a theological level. How do you understand the severity of the punishment of the Jews of Bayez Shini when at the end of the day Bayez Rishon violated three cardinal Averos and yet got the Beis HaMikdash back 70 years later? We were learning Torah. We were doing mitzvahs. We were doing acts of chesed. And yet because of Sinas Chinam, we've not had our Beis HaMikdash for over 2,000 years. This is Chazal grappling with the severity of Sinas Chinam. Rish Lakish, both say an incredible story. Rish Lakish was swimming in the Yardin. So Rabbi Barachana came and gave him a hand, right? He was, he was, Rish Lakish, I guess, was coming out of the water. And Rabbi Barachana extended his hand to Rish Lakish to help him out of the water. Amrleh, Rish Lakish was, now Rabbi Barachana was from Bavel. Rish Lakish was from Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Barachana was from, was from um, Bavel. So Amrleh, Eloha Sanina Luchu. So Rish Lakish says, God hates you Babylonians. Good morning to you, right? right God, God, God hates you, Babylonians. So Reish Lakish not only didn't take his hand, but Reish Lakish, who hates you, Babylonians. Because we will say the Gemara over quotes the Pasek. Quotes the Pasek from, from, from Micha, sorry. No, from Shira Shira. So, Imchomahi, Imchomahi, Nivne Ale Tiras Kasef. If it's a wall, we'll explain what this means in just a moment. If it's a wall, build upon it a crown of silver. Vimdelasi, and if it's a door, Natsur Aleha Luach Eres. Place upon it or secure it with a board of cedar wood. What does this mean? So, Ishlakish says, to Rabba Bar Barchana, here's what it means. If you Jews from Bavel would have been like a wall, namely, and all of you would have come back with Ezra. Let's remember again, only a very small fraction of Babylonian Jewry returned with Ezra to Eretz Yisrael. So here, Rish Lakish is saying like this, if you Babylonian Jews would have come back en masse with Ezra, that's the, that's the imagery of a wall, right? The wall is like a solid entity. If all of you would have returned, if you would have been compared to silver, and I will say silver doesn't rot. Silver doesn't rot, right? So you would have been like silver that would have never rotted. 
Achshav shalisim kidalsos. Now you've come up like, like doors. And we'll say, Rashi points out the imagery is if you can imagine like double doors, right? So with double doors, you could have one open, one closed. So now some of you came up, some of you didn't come up. Nimshaltem ke'eres. You are like cedar wood, sha'rekev sholit bo. And I'll say, wood could rot. Wood can rot. My eres, but what does he mean like cedar wood? So amrula sasmagor. Like sasmagor. Okay, thank you. My sasmagor, what's that? Now, Sasmo Garashi points out literally is a worm. And it's the worm, ultimately, again, that hollows out the cedar wood. So what would happen is if the Sasmo Gar gets into the cedar wood, you would see the outer shell of wood. You would think that it's whole, but in reality, it's hollow. It's carved out. So too, again, I will say when it comes to the, when it comes to the second temple era, there was like cedar wood, but it was hollowed out. What does it mean it was hollowed out? Am Rabbi Abba, Baskal. But say what it means is that in the second temple era, we no longer had nevuah. We no longer had nevuah. Now what did we have? We had a baskal. So we'll say baskal is, is the voice of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So it's a it's a quasi communication. It's like a hollowed out piece of wood. The wood is there. The wood is there, but it's hollow on the inside. When the last of the neviim perished, chagai zechayim alachi nestalko rach hakadosh miyisrael rach hakadosh nevuah. Departed on Yisrael. But they still relied on a baskol. So we'll say, interestingly enough, even when there was no nevuah, the baskol was still present. So we'll say, so remember, this whole thing starts because Reish Lakish will not talk to Rabbi Bar Barchano. He will not talk to him. Or I should say, he will not take, he was talking to him, he will not take his hand. To which the Gemara says, interestingly enough, Reish Lakish, would Reish Lakish even talk to Rabbi Bar Barchan? And I both say, what would be the problem? Listen to this. Umar Rabbi Eliezer, Demaradis, Daradis, or Rabbi Elazar, Demaradis, Ral Havavalob, Velo Havamishtai, Reish Lakish Bade, Demand Mishtai, Reish Lakish Bade, Bishuk, Yavale Iskabalo Sahadi. So we'll say, now watch this. We have another story in the Gemara that Reish Lakish would not talk to Rebbe Lazar. We'll say, Rebbe Lazar was the Mora de Asra of Eretz Yisrael. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that, that position? He was the Rav of Eretz Yisrael. Now, we'll say, listen to this. Reish Lakish would not speak to him in public. Why not? Because Reish Lakish was known as an individual of incredibly high moral caliber who surrounded himself with people of high moral cal- caliber as well. To the point that it was listen, it had business ramifications. That if people saw Reish Lakish speaking to someone, they assumed that such a person was of the highest integrity, and they would loan such a person money even without witnesses. So Reish Lakish was very careful, really about almost not speaking to anyone in public, because he did not want the chas v'shalom. Give people the impression, like, like, let's see, just having a conversation with someone. And suddenly, again, oh, Reish Lakish was just talking with Chaim Yanko. He must be a guy, you know what? We're going to go into business together here. Here's the money. Here's the money. Go for it. No, no witnesses. And meanwhile, again, Reish Lakish could be setting someone up ultimately for some type of, of, of financial failure. So if Reish Lakish was very mock, but he wouldn't even speak to Belazar, who was the Rav of Eretz Yisrael in public, is he going to start speaking with Rabbi Barbar Chano? Amrapafa, you're right. Shade gavra benayhu. O reish lakish hava uziiri. O rabba barbarchana hava rabalazar. To which the Gemara says, you're right. You probably have to go ahead and switch around the people. Either it was reish lakish and ziiri. 
and Ziri was an individual who Reish Lakish would speak to in public, or it was Rabbi Barbachana and Rabbi Lazar. Okay. Ki Rabbi Yochanan. Lav Hainu Taima. So when Rabbi, so Rabbi Yochanan came along, so I'm sorry, Kes, when he came in front, when he came before Rabbi Yochanan, he said as follows, Lav Hainu Taima, Ina misaliku kulhu bimei Ezra, lo havashari yashchina b'mikdashini. We'll say, so now listen to this. So it seems to be from this conversation of Reish Lakish and, and Rabbi Barachana going to our first version, that Reish Lakish was saying, had you all come up to Eretz Yisrael, the Shechina would have resided in the Beis HaMikdash. To which the Gemara says, is that actually true? Is that actually true? The Gemara wants to posit that even had Babylonian Jewry come up en masse, the Shechina would not have resided in the second Beis HaMikdash. And why not? Because the Gemara says, the Yishkon which literally, again, Hashem will give beauty to Yafas, and He will dwell in the tents of shame. Top of Yod, Afagav diyafta lokim liyafes, eina shechina shora ele ba'ohale shame. So we'll say, remember again, the shechina only resides in a tent or in a structure built by shame. Remember again, who's shame? Shame of the descendant, right? We are shame, right? We are shame. Ultimately, again, Yafes refers to Greece, Persia. So interestingly enough, the Gemara is suggesting, or Rabbi Yochanan is suggesting, that the only Beis HaMikdash that the Shechina dwells in is a Beis HaMikdash built by who? Klal Yisrael. Bayesheni was not built by Klal Yisrael. Who was Bayesheni built by? Who was Bayesheni built by? It was built ultimately again by the Persians. Also remember again, we saw in Pesachim, we saw in Pesachim that, that the Jews built a special turret in the Beis HaMikdash. Remember again, Migdal Shushan, right? And Migdal Shushan was in homage to their, in, to their Persian rulers, right? So we didn't, so Rabbi Yochanan says, even had the Babylonian Jews come en masse, the Shechina still would not have resided inside of this Bayesheni, because the Shechina only resides in a Beis HaMikdash built by Am Yisrael, not a Beis HaMikdash built by other nations. Uparsoi, Minolan Demiyafes Kasu. By the way, how do you know that the Persians are descended from Yafes. The Gemara goes through a whole series of psukim, which we'll do quickly. So we'll say we're going to go through all of these, all of these nations. Well, this is this is uh, this is Parshas Bereishis. So the Gemara says, who are who are all of these nations? So the Gemara says, Gomer Zegermamia. Gomer is Germamia, Magbagog, Zukandia, Madai, Zu Macedonia, which is Macedonia, Yavan, Kemashmao, Tuvan, Tuval, Ze Base Onaiki. Okay, I will say these are all just names of different countries. Meshech, Ze Musia, Tiras, what's Tiras? Pligibar, Rebsimai, Vrabonon, Vramil, Rebsimon, Vrabonon, Chadamar, Base Taraiki. Vechad Amar, Zu Paras. So Machlokas ultimately again about Tiras. Okay, so the Gemara says, Tani Rabbi Yosef, Tiras Zuparas. So Tiras actually refers to Persia. Safta Virama Vesaftacha, one of these places. Tani Rabbi Yosef, Sakistan Gavaisa. This is the inner Sakistan. Sakistan Baraisa, the outer Sakistan. Okay, Ben Chada between the inner Sakistan, the outer Sakistan, Mea Parsi. There's a hundred Parsos. Vehekefa and the circumference of the outer Sakista 
Alpha Parsi is 1,000 Parsos. Vatiracious Mamlachto Bavel. So we'll say, so interestingly enough, remember, the Pasuk over here is referring to Nimrod, right? And back in Bereshis. So it says in the beginning of his monarchy was Bavel. So again, Vatiracious Mamlachto Bavel, Vaarach Vaachar Vakalma, Bavel Kemashma'a. So Bavel is Bavel. Arach Ze Orichus, Vaachad Zu Bischar. Kalma Ze Nofer Ninfi. All different names of places. From this place, the Assyrian Empire emerged, or Assyria emerged. Ashur, Ashur ze Silak, Ashur Silak. And he built Ninveh, Rechovos ear and Kalach. Ninveh kemashmao. So Ninveh, we'll say we're familiar with Ninveh. Rechovos ear zupras de Mishan, Kala zupras de Borsif. Ves resen ben ninvei ben kalachia ir hagdola resen ze akitzafon. Okay, so hia ir hagdola. So when the pasuk says it is a great city, any odea, what is the great city referring to? Is it referring to im ninvei ir hagdola im resen ir hagdola? Both there are two cities mentioned in that next to that phrase ir hagdola, the great city. So does the great city refer to ninvei? Does the great city refer to resen? Oh, and Sefer Yonah, when it speaks about the fact that Ninveh was a great and important city to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Mahalach Shloshi Yamim Habi, Mahalach Shloshi Yamim, Habi Omer Ninveh Hiya Iragdola. So say from the Pasuk in Yonah, I could go ahead and understand that the Pasuk in Bereshis, when it says Hiya Iragdola, was referring ultimately to Ninveh as well. Beautiful. The Sham. Achiman Sheshai Vitama Yelidiha Anak. So we'll say so the Pasik says the Pasik says this we'll say is going back ultimately again now to the Maraglim. Right? So the Maraglim enter into Eritisrael. So the Pasik says, Vayalu Banegev, they came through the south. Vayavo ad Chevron Visham Achiman Sheshai Vitama Vitama Yelidiha Anak. They came to Chevron, and who was in Chevron? Three three men. Achiman, Sheshai, and Tamai. Yelide Ha'anak literally means, well, we'll see what it means, but of the offspring of giants. The offspring of giants. All right, so we'll say, so the Gemara says, who are these people? So Tana, Achiman, Miyuman Shabachin. Achiman, he was the most powerful of the brothers. Sheshai, Shemesimas Ha'aretz Kishchisos. He was so big that when he walked, he literally destroyed the earth under him with his footsteps. When he walked also, he was so big, he was so big that he made furrows whenever he took a step. The other possibility is, Achiman built a city of Anas. Sheshai, we'll say first of the widest lines, Sheshai bana Alush, Sheshai built Alush, Talmi bana Talbush. I'm about to put Bill Tanish. Good. Yelidia Anak. We'll say, what does it mean when it says Yelidia Anak? So again, literally translated, it means the offspring of giants. But what does it mean? It says the Gemara. Listen to this. Shema'anikin hachama bekamasan. Literally translated, they wear the sun like a necklace when they stand upright. So we'll say, in other words, they were so tall that it looked like the sun was hanging around their neck. Okay. Was well, a very profound Gemara. Rabbi Shoban Levi says, ultimately, again, Asida in the future, Rome will fall into the hands of Persia. Shinemar, 
My Masha the Hai Tsiriatzon para. So we'll say, how do you know that the Tsiriatzon is referring to Persia? Maybe it refers to Greece. Because you can both say literally it means the he goat is the king of Yavan. One who doesn't even know how to really interpret the Pesukim is going to raise the cash at the Rebbe. What does it mean when it says Siriatzon? Zutra da'achohi. It means the youngest of the brothers, as we mentioned before. The Tanir of Yosef, Tiras Zu Paras. So I will say, here is the, here is the Raya, says the Gemara, that La'asid, La'asid, ultimately, again, Rome will fall into the hands of Persia. They will say, now, generally, whenever we hear, like, La'asid, and this is going to kind of be the tone of the Gemara, this seems to really reference to Messianic reckoning. Right? That ultimately, again, one of the things that's going to happen when Mashiach comes is that there's judgment. There's judgment. There's judgment for everyone. But specifically, there's judgment for the nations of the world, ultimately, how they treated Am Yisrael. Rome will ultimately fall into the hands of Persia. So the Gemara says, Kavachomer, and it's a Kavachomer. Uma Mikdash Rishon, Shebena Ubne Adam, Vecherivu Kastim, Naflu Kastim Biad Parsim. So we'll say the first base Hamikdash, which we built, right? First base Hamikdash was built by Am Yisrael. And ultimately, again, it was destroyed by the Kastim. And the Kastim went ahead and were ultimately conquered by the Persians. Then Mikdash Sheni, Shebeno Parsim, Vechrivu Romim, the second base Hamikdash, which was built by the Persians, destroyed by the Romans. Eino Din Shiyiplu Romim Biad Parsim. Then certainly again, the Romans should fall into the hands of the Persians. Okay? So the Gemara is an interesting Kavachomer. Amarav Asida Paras Shetipo Biad Romi. And Rav says again, yes, Persia will ultimately. I'm sorry, so I will say this is a reverse. Up until now, we've been saying that Rome will fall into the hands of Persia. Now the Gemara is saying Persia will fall into the hands of Rome. Amar Alei Rav Kahana Bravasi Lurav Bin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Rav Asid Rav Banoi Biat Seture. Should those who built the Mikdash fall into the hands of the ones who destroyed the others? I will say. Remember again. Up until now, we've been saying, we've been saying that per, that Rome will fall into the hands of the Persians. Now Rav comes along and says, in the future, Persia will fall into the hands of the Romans. So the Gemara says, why would that be? The Romans destroyed the base of Mikdash. The Persians built the second base Hamikdash. Does it make sense that the builders will fall into the hands of the destroyers? So we'll say, listen to this. Amr in Gzeras Melachi. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. It is the decree of the king. And we'll say, I think it's such a profound statement. How does that answer the question? Right? The Gemara asks a good kasha. Right? The kasha is, how could it be that the builders will fall into the hands of the destroyers? Persians built the base of Mikdash. The Romans destroyed the base of Mikdash. What kind of justice is it that the builders should fall into the hands of the destroyers? And to which the Gemara says, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Gzeras Melachi. It is the gzeras, it is the decree 
of the Ribbono Shalolam. And I will say, what a profound idea. Because so often in life, we try to make sense of a variety of circumstances and situations. And so often in life, we fall short. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. And very often it's theologically frustrating, it's intellectually frustrating to be able to live life as, as it makes perfect sense. And why does it make sense? Because it's the Gzeira of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Really? So can you articulate why it makes sense? No. But I could just tell you that everything that Ribbon HaShu'alam does is make sense. And everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is Latova. And somehow, someway, everything comes together. Do I understand it? Absolutely, unequivocally not. But just because I don't understand it, doesn't mean that I can't find the capacity to accept it. Because in Amr Lahu, in, it makes perfect sense. Gzeras Melech. And I will say, isn't this the essence of Emuna? Do you want to know what it means to have Emuna? What does it mean to really be a Ma'amin Ba'ashem? To be a Ma'amin Ba'ashem means the ability to say, Rabbi Nahor Rabbi Nachman has a phrase. The phrase is, Kacha Hashem Rotza. This is what Hashem wants. This is what Hashem wants. And if this is what Hashem wants, in, it makes perfect sense. Why? Because it is the Gezerah of the king. And whatever the king decides, ultimately, again, whatever Kacha Hashem Rotza, makes perfect sense. Halavai, we should be zochah to reach that level. Ikida Amri. Others say, Ikida Amri, Amr Inhu Nami Kasasri. Listen, I'll say, the Persians are plenty guilty of destruction as well. It's true that they went ahead and they built the second base Hamikdash, but Kasasri Beikinishta, they've destroyed many shuls in their days. So I will say, so let's, let's not make this like the Romans are guilty and the Persians are innocent. The Persians are plenty guilty of, of destroying many things, many parts of Jewish life as well. Time in Akhirbais that supports this. I see the Parsha people be Romi. Persia will ultimately fall into the hands of Rome. The Gemara says, Number one, because the Persians themselves have destroyed many shuls. And furthermore, again, it is the decree of the king that the builders, i.e. the Persians, will fall into the hands of the destroyers. We'll say a very profound Gemara. This is the name of Rav. Mashiach will not come until the Roman Empire takes over the world. <coughs> so the Gemara says, Until Rome takes over the world for nine months. Okay, we'll say, really incredible, incredible Gemaras. Good. We'll say, so a little bit back, a little bit back now to Yuma. Right, and a little bit back to some of the, to some of the conversations regarding the Lishko. It's really fascinating. We'll say fascinating sugi over here. The chambers in the base Hamikdash. Remember again, we're talking about now specifically Lishkas Parhedrin. But the Gemara says in general, the chambers in the base Hamikdash did not have mezuzos. Did not have mezuzos. So the Gemara says, Chutz mi Lishkas Parhedrin, the coin Gadol, with the exception of the Lishkas Parhedrin. Why? Because Lishkas Parhedrin served as a domicile. It served as a home for the coin Gadol. Therefore, they would put a mezuzah on the Lishkas Parhedrin. But we'll say, first of all, one second, people lived in other chambers. We'll say, remember again, the Kohanim, the Levium slept. We saw this, we'll say, remember again, in Masechus Tamid, at the end of last cycle, they, there, there were chambers that they slept in the Beis HaMikdash. So Lishka's Parhedrin is not the only chamber 
that someone lived in in the Beis HaMikdash. So if that's the case, if you're going to put a mezuzah on Lishkas Parhedrin, you should put a mezuzah on other, on other chambers as well. So let's listen to this. So rather, why did they put a mezuzah on Lishkas Parhedrin? This is incredible. It was a which is another way of saying, which is another way of saying that ultimately, again, there mid there is no din of mezuzah on lishkas parhedron. Midrabanon, there was a gzera that we should put the mezuzah on lishkas parhedron. What's the reason? What's the reason? So the Gemara says, my time, my time, Rabbi Yehuda. So we'll say, so remember again, Rabbi Yehuda says, no mezuzahs on the chambers of the base of Mikdash, and only a mezuzah on lishkas parhedron. I'll say gzera. What's the nature of the gzera? My time, Rabbi Yehuda. Because Rabbi Huda holds that in order to qualify as a domicile for mezuzah purposes, you have to be a home that's used all year around. All year around. Therefore, I will say again, Lishka's Parhajan was only used when? Only used when? Seven days out of the year. That was it. No one else stayed there, right? It wasn't like, uh, you know, an Airbnb the rest of the year. You know, that's it. There, there, there's no one there. So therefore, Rabbi Huda holds that halacha lemaisa, it doesn't get a mezuzah because it's only used seven days out of the year. the kasha. One second. Vaksiv Yet the Gemara over quotes the pasuk, and the pasuk says in Amos, Hashem says, "I will destroy your winter homes and your summer homes," which Rabbi seems to indicate to us that even a seasonal home is called a home. And therefore, again, if that's the case, then even though you're only using Lishkas Parhedron seven days out of the year, you should put a mezuzah, because we'll say essentially, Lishkas Parhedron has the din of a summer home. It's my Yamim Nor, it's the Kohen Gadol's Yamim Noraim residence. So it sounds like it should get a mezuzah, to which the Gemara says, No, look at the Pasik. A seasonal home is called just that. It's called a winter home. It's called the summer home. But we'll say, what is it not called? What is it not called? A stam home. And then we're going to say, we go back to the Pasuk. What does the Pasuk say? That you go ahead and put a mezuzah where? A mezuzah, a mezuzah's besecha. Right? You go ahead and you put a mezuzah on your home. So only something that is called an unqualified home gets a mezuzah. If it's a seasonal home, it does not get a mezuzah. So we'll say, this is great. Abaye says, Sukos hachag bechag. We'll say, what about a sukkah? What about a sukkah? What about your sukkah on sukkis? Is your sukkah on sukkis chayev in mezuzah? Rabbi Huda mechayev. Wow. Rabbi Huda holds Allah Lamaisa, you are obligated to put up a mezuzah on your sukkah. The chachamim poach and the chachamim say no, you are potter. But Tani Allah, Rabbi Huda mechayev, be'eriv, ube mezuzah, ube meiser. Furthermore, again, I will say not only that, but Rabbi Huda holds that Allah Lamaisa, your mezuzah is chayev in eruv. Which also means if you have a sukkah and the sukkah opens up into a courtyard and you want to make an Erev Chatzeros, the, the residents of the sukkah must participate in the Erev. In Mezuzah, Rabbi Udol is again a sukkah's chayiv in Mezuzah. And Meiser, I will say Meiser is a din that produce really only becomes subject to Meiser once there is Re'iyas Pnei once it is brought into the home. So Rabbi Udol holds bringing produce into the sukkah is considered to be Re'iyas Pnei which ultimately make, makes it chayiv in Meiser. Daraisa, Maybe you'll say Rabbi Huda only means Midrabanon. Only Midrabanon is a sukkah chayiv in Mezuzah, Erev and Meiser. 
You know what? The truth is, you could float that idea, and maybe Einach and Rabbi Huda saying both for both for mezuzah and for ear of purposes, it's only chayiv midrabanon. Ella meiser miika lemeimar midrabanon. I will say, can you say that Rabbi Huda is saying that it was that it would generate only a rabbinic obligation for meiser? Well, that would be very dangerous. Why? Dilma asila farushe minachiyov alapater or minapater alachiyov? Because we all said it's very dangerous to only have produce that is just subject to Meiser rabbinically. Why, Rabbi Osai? Because remember, again, you can go ahead and separate out Meiser from one, from one, we'll call it, one pile of produce on another pile of produce. Well, here's the problem. The problem is, if you have one pile of produce that is Meiser Daraisa, and one Dirabanon, you cannot tie them from each other. So to now generate a rabbinic Meiser would be exceptionally dangerous. Literally translated, perhaps you'll come to go ahead and tie it from that which is obligated on that which is Potter, or from that which is part to that which is Chayiv. Therefore, both said the Gemara suggests, no. When Rabbi Huda says that a sukkah is Chayiv in Mezuzah, Eruv, and Meiser, it's talking about Doraisa. So now we have a problem, right? What's our problem? Rabbi Huda, Rabbi, the, the Gemara begins by saying, according to Rabbi Huda, that there was no, there was no mezuzah on Lishkas Parhedrin, and there was no mezuzah really on, on any of the other, on any of the other, um, I'm sorry, any, any of the other, uh, any of the other chambers. Why not? Because Rabbi Huda holds that Allah Chalamaisa, the only type of home that is subject to the din of mezuzah is something that's called an unequivocal or unqualified bias. But anything that's seasonal does not get a mezuzah. Does not get a mezuzah. And we'll say, yet now we're contrast that Rabbi Huda says that a sukkah does get a mezuzah. Does get a mezuzah. So what's going on over now? I just want to point out, remember, Rabbi Huda is agreeing, or well, let's see. So the Gemara says as follows. El Amr Abayi says as follows. B'shiva d'kuli amalo pligi d'mechaiva. Supposed to listen to this. Abaye says that halacha lemaisa, Everyone agrees that lishkas parhedrin, lishkas parhedrin, has an obligation to have a mezuzah the seven days that the coin gadol lives there. Right. So let's take a look at the first Rashi on Yulamid base. Amr Abaye, left hand side. B'shivas yamim shal prisha lo palig Rabbi Yehuda devadai mechayiv dumya desoka. So we'll say just like Rabbi Yehuda holds that a sukkah is obligated in mezuzah all seven days that you live there, so too, again, even Rabbi Huda will agree that the lishkas parhedrin is subject to the mitzvah of mezuzah all seven days that the coin gadol is residing there. That's for sure. So where does the machlokes come up? Ki pligi, b'shar yimos hashana. We'll say the machlokes is, are you obligated to maintain a mezuzah on lishkas parhedrin during the remaining 51 weeks out of the year? That's, that, that's the machlok. So we'll say, so just going to appreciate where the Gemara is holding right now. Everyone is agreeing that when the Kohen Gadol is residing in Lishkas Parhedrin, you must have a mezuzah. The machlok is, is there an obligation to go ahead and keep a mezuzah there during the remaining years of the year, during the remaining weeks of the year? So we'll say, watch this. So the Gemara says, Rabbanon Savri, Gazvinan Shema, Shari, Mosa, Shana, Atushiva. The Rabbanon will say yes. I would say before, actually, we, you have to maintain a mezuzah on Lishkas Rajan the rest of the year. Why? Why? Because we're nervous. If you don't maintain it there the rest of the year, what's going to end up happening? You're not going to have it there the seven days that the Kohen Gadol is present either. Rabbi Huda Savar, Logazin. Rabbi Huda holds that Allah we're not Gozer. 
We're not gozer. No, we trust people, right? The guys in charge of Lushka Esparajan will put up the mezuzah for the seven days the Kohen Gadol is living there. But for the rest of the year, there is no obligation to have a mezuzah there. So we'll say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Keep ligibi shaymos hashana. Rabbanon savri gazrin on shaymos hashana atu shiva. The Rabbanon holds. So we'll say, remember, in, if this step right now, everyone is agreeing that Lushka Esparajan must have a mezuzah at the time the Kohen Gadol is living there. The only machlokes is, do you have to maintain a mezuzah on Lishkas Parhedrin during the rest of the year? The Rabbanon say, yes, you must maintain a mezuzah there during the rest of the year, lest you come to be negligent and not keep a mezuzah there during the week the Kohen Gadol is residing there. Conversely, as Rashi says, Rabbi Huda Savar, I'm reading Rashi, Lo Savar Gazrinan, El Lishkas Parhedrin Mishayim Osashana, Hayula Mezuzah, now we're going to see, by the way, interestingly enough, that actually the Rabbanan and Rabbi Huda don't seem to be arguing all that much. See, the Rabbanan are going to say, you have to keep a mezuzah there the seven days that Kohen Gadol is living there, and you mustn't maintain a mezuzah the rest of the year, lest you come to forget to put one on the week that Kohen Gadol is living there. The Rabbi Huda says, you don't have to worry about any, you don't have to worry about forgetting. Yet we're going to see that according to Rabbi Yehuda, you also have a mezuzah there for the rest of the year, but for a different reason. Watch this. Rabbi Huda Savar, Lo Gazrinan. Amrali Rabbi, Rabbi said, one second. But we just said before that Allah Chalamaisa, a sukkah, right? That Rabbi Yehuda holds that you're obligated to have a mezuzah on it, and the Rabbanan said you're putter. Shabbos said, the Gemara is wondering. Shouldn't Lishkas Parhedrin essentially be like a sukkah? Right? A sukkah is a structure that is only used for seven days. Right? Lishkas Parhedrin is a structure only used for seven days. Therefore, just as sukkah only, this just like sukkah according to the Rabbanon, does not get a mezuzah, so to according to the Rabbanon, Lishkas Parhedrin shouldn't get a mezuzah either. There was an obvious, you know, the, 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 Obvious chilek say is that sukkah is also a dirasarai, right? Sukkah is a temporary structure. Masha Inkain, ultimately again a a lishkas parhedrin was a permanent structure. But again, leaving that aside, ela amarava b'shayimos hashana kol yamulo pligi tepturas. Well, now we do a one eighty. Rava says you're right. You're right. In fact, everyone agrees that during fifty one weeks out of the year, when the coin gadol is not living there. There is no obligation for mezuzah, right? No one's living there. No obligation for mezuzah. Keep pleading. So where does the machlokes come up? B'shiva, b'sukkah. I'm sorry, b'shiva. The machlokes comes up during the seven days the Kohen Gadol is living in Lishkas Parajun. Is there an obligation to have a mezuzah in Lishkas Parajun or not? B'sukkah tamelachud, v'lishka tamelachud. And both in reality, the argument of Rabbi Huda for a mezuzah on sukkah, that's one argument, and the argument for a mezuzah on Lishka Sparhedrin is a second argument. They both say, get ready, this is incredible. For Rabbi Huda Latame, Rabbi Huda goes according to his reasoning. Why? Both say, here we go, this is incredible. What does Rabbi Huda hold? keva ba'inan. Both say, number one, Rabbi Huda holds in Meseches sukkah, Daf Zayin Amadeis, quoted by Rashi. That sukkah must be a diras keva. That you must build a permanent structure for sukkah. Oh, that changes everything. 
So once Rabbi Huda is holding that sukkah requires a diras keva, then Rabbi said, what are you suddenly building? You're building another house. You're mamish building another house. Well, if you're building another house, then what do you have to put on it? So that's why Rabbi Huda holds that Allah ultimately, again, sukkah gets a mezuzah. But Rabbi said, what about, what about Lishkas Farhedrin? Listen to this. So the Gemara says, um, so we'll say, let's remove sukkah from the equation over here. Because the machlokis by sukkah by mezuzah is not really a machlokis in mezuzah. What is it a machlokis in? Sukkah. Sukkah. Rabbi Hudol, sukkah should be a diras keva, a permanent structure. Well, if sukkah is a permanent structure, then guess what? You are chayiv in mezuzah. The Rabbanon hold that sukkah is diras arai, is a temporary structure. Temporary structure, no chiv in mezuzah. So I both say, let's remove sukkah from this conversation, and now let's get back to lishka's parhedrin. I both say, get ready for this. Lishka, time alochod. When it comes to lishka, listen to this. Rabbanon savri, dira bal karcha shmei dira. Rabbi Huda savar, dira bal karcha lo shma dira. both say, listen to this. The Shaila is, this is incredible. This is incredible. What is the status of a forced domicile? What is the status of a Well, so remember again, why does the Kohen relocate to Lishkas Parhajan? Why? Why? Because he must. Because there's no choice. Less Breda. There's no choice. He has to relocate. Posey, listen to how profound this is. What is the subject of a forced domicile? Ultimately, again, does that have the status of a home or not? So ultimately, again, the Rabbanon hold, Rabbanon Savri, Dira Bal Karcha, Shmadila, The Rabbanon hold that a forced domicile is still called a domicile nevertheless, and therefore Chayav and Mezuzah. Rabbi Huda Savar, Dira Bal Karcha, Lo Shmadira. Rabbi Huda says, on a technical level, a forced domicile does not satisfy the halacha criteria of Beisecha. That's not called a home. Now, I will say, now, now, what's interesting about this is as follows. So, as I just mentioned this, just before we get to the conclusion over here, I'll tell you something really quite fascinating. I will say, the, the Maral comments on this. The Maral says that, that ultimately, again, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and took Adam and he placed them in Gan Eden. What does Rashi say on that Eden. Rashi says, Kalakho bidvarin. Hakadish Baruch Hu took him with words. So says the Maral, I don't understand. Why can't the Pashat Pshat be Vayikach Esha Adam? Hashem lifted Adam up and he placed them in Ganeden. To which the Maral says something, Gorai says something absolutely amazing. Rav Cook says the same idea as well. Something so profound, which is you could physically take someone and place them in a different spot, but you may have moved their body, but you did not necessarily get the agreement of their soul. And the Maharal says, very often a person could be physically one place, but emotionally somewhere totally different. I will say, many people spend their entire careers like this, their working lives like this, right? My body is in the office, I'm there, whatever it is I'm doing, but my heart and my soul is somewhere totally different. And the problem, of course, is when your heart and your soul are not where your body is, you're not fully vested in the endeavor that you are undertaking. Right? Success in life comes 
when your heart and your soul are in the same place as your body, then you give whatever you're going to do 100%. But if my body is in the office or my body is one place, but my heart and my soul are somewhere else, then I won't be as successful as I, as I could potentially be. Since the Maral says, when HaKadosh Baruch, HaKadosh Baruch knows that he could just take Adam and put him in Gan Eden, but he wants Adam to be vested in Gan Eden. And how do you get someone vested in some particular life endeavor? Don't just get their physical buy-in, but get their emotional, spiritual buy-in as well. Both sides. It's, and by the way, I'll just point out to you, you'll, you'll do this, this is your homework, You'll see every single time it says in the Torah Kedosha, Vayikach, someone took someone else. Rashi always says the same perish. When it says that Moshe Avinu took Aaron, Vayikach Aaron for the Kahuna, what does Rashi say? Lokcho bidvarim. Why Moshe could have said, Aaron, here's the deal. You're the Kohen, Mazatov. Move on. Next. Right, you're the Kohen. Next. What's, what's next? What does he say? Instead, Aaron, you're the Kohen. Let me explain to you why this is such a privilege. Let me explain to you why this is so incredible. Which I will say such an incredible you saw it in general. If you, whether it's in your professional life or in your volunteer life, need to get people to buy in to do certain things. You may have the authority to order someone to do something, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you may get their physical compliance. But if you don't get their heart and their soul, they will not be vested in whatever it is you are asking them to do. This is probably perhaps one of the hardest things about parenting, because parents sometimes need to order their child to do things. But to whatever degree possible, if I could get the buy-in of my child, if I'm a Rebbe, to get the buy-in of my student to do something, then not only are they physically vested, but they're emotionally and spiritually vested as well. So we'll say, that's my locus. What is the, what, what is the din of a forced domicile. So ultimately, again, the Rabbanon will say it's called a domicile. It's called a domicile. Rabbi Yudha says, no, it's not called a domicile. <laughs> I'll say, what's bias? Where, where, where's the bias? Where's your home? Where's your home? Your home is what? Where you want, right, in your heart, good, right, right? But your home is really where your heart wants to be, right? Your home is where you want to be. If you don't want to be somewhere, then at the end of the day, that's not called a bias. Aye. So if Rabbi Yehuda holds that a forced domicile is not called a home, then why is there a din of mezuzah by Lishkas Paretrin? Because we'll even Rabbi Yehuda is agreeing that we're still going to put a mezuzah on Lishkas Paretrin. But if Dira, if Badira Balkarcha is not called the Dira, it's not called the domicile, then why is there a din of mezuzah on Lishkas Paretrin? Both say, watch this, this is incredible. Umid now we'll say because if you don't have a mezuzah on Lishkas Parhedrin, the optics are terrible. What are the optics? What does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like the Kohen Gadol is incarcerated. So therefore, in order to avoid the negative optics that the Kohen Gadol may be incarcerated, we place a mezuzah on Lishkas Parhedrin to show that, quote-unquote, this is a domicile. But interestingly enough, so I will say, the Machlokis, the Gemara suggests, is the Machlokis is on a forced domicile. The Rabbanon say a forced domicile has the din of a bias, therefore you put a mezuzah on there, me'ikar adin, Rabbi Huda says a forced domicile does not have the din of a bias. Aye, so why do you put a mezuzah there? Simply because we don't want it to look like a jail. All right, so we'll stop over here. We'll the Mirat Hashem pick up with this Sugi Lishkas Parajim Mirat Hashem tomorrow as well. Shkoyach. It's always on, but uh... I just kind of just like you're in.
Shimon.